Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by Barnabas Piper. And uh, Pipe, I get the privilege of doing something uh, this morning that we did a couple of years ago that people seem to really like, and that's where uh, two of us just kind of interview each other. So uh, I'm going to be interviewing you today. Um, you know, I, I suppose in the future, maybe you'll interview me or Ron will or uh, whatever and vice versa when we can get uh, we, we can get Ron back on the road and back uh, in, in comfortable environs yeah. for him. I, yeah, but. I feel like he has not been bringing his sort of a game energy to the podcast. And I think it's it's the lack it's of Hyatt home. Place. it's the lack of yeah. Hyatt place in his life is really what yeah. it, it is. I'm pretty sure. Dude, I can hear the despair in Ron's voice when he's at home. Yeah, he's just, he's just despondent. He's despondent. He's glum. You know, he's a little bit depressed. So we gotta we gotta get our boy back out on the road. We gotta get him retreating, and uh, then he can he can be himself again. So we're gonna we're gonna put off the Ron Martin interview episode until that time. But uh, Pipe, I'm happy to have you in studio today because I have a whole bunch of um, kind of mid career things that I want to ask you, including. Uh, well, should we do promo reads? We probably should. Yeah, like this is a real app. So yes, that's right. We should do that, which means yeah. I should should have probably been prepared. Um, so our uh, our first sponsor is Noah's Event Venues, as we have talked about before. So they uh, they're a company. They're actually based out of Utah. I discovered. I didn't realize that because they have locations all over the country. So I wasn't paying attention to where they're from. Yeah. I just find anything based out of Utah pretty fr- pretty uh, fascinating. I don't I don't really know why. I just it's kind of a non-existent place in my mind. You know, I don't Dude, know. I agree. Yeah, question on that. Have you ever been to Utah? I have uh No. I was thinking maybe I had like flown through the Salt Lake City Airport, which only sort of yeah. counts cuz airports are twilight zones. They're not really part of a city. Exactly. So, so I I don't think I have. Although I would yeah, love I to go. It sounds it seems fascinating. Yeah, it really does, man. The whole like Mormon thing and uh, like all the affluence and um, yeah, it, it seems like it, it would be a really interesting place to visit. And uh, dude, odd to me that Noah's Events Venues is uh, is from there. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like what what are the odds that they're Mormons? Um, <laughs> well, th- that could explain why they have places for Sunday worship services, because don't Mormons meet on Saturdays? Yeah, so, so like they so can work ba- wait a minute. Is Noah's event venue renting out Mormon temples and we're just calling them event venues? Oh my gosh. That would be the ultimate <laughs> like that would be the ultimate sort of meta joke against uh against evangelicals. But uh I, that's, that's to be clear for our sensitive listeners, we do not believe that to be the case. That no, was, we don't that was we a, don't. We're just... a coincidence that we ran with. This is just wild speculation at this point. So, Which yeah, is how disregard- media works these days, but please disregard what we just said for the sake of actually trusting this sponsor. Yeah, and for the sake of our relationship with this sponsor, which is, uh, which is lucrative. So, Pipe, continue telling us about, uh, about these fabulous events venues. So, Noah's event venues, they, they have buildings, locations all over the United States that are designed for organizations to use for whatever, uh, whatever sort of event or to lease on a long-term basis for regular Sunday morning worship. So they have an entire setup for churches who are looking for a, an easy-to-use modern venue. And when I say modern, don't think like corrugated metal on the walls. I just mean like <laughs> up-to-date. They're all sort of neutral, classy with, you know, there's there's wood, there's windows. You can dress them up or dress them down. Uh, they come with all of your needs. So microphones, podiums, projectors, TVs, Wi-Fi, uh, stage lighting, even Apple TVs, um, which that's 
that's nifty for people into such things. They have they have plenty of parking at each place, so it's not the kind of thing where you have to go, you know, figure out metered parking or send people away or have 30,000 people in orange vests pointing different directions. Uh, they have cafe spaces and nursery spaces. So basically, they're com- it's a full-service church venue. So if you are a church plant, a church looking to start an additional campus, um, not you, Mark Dever, we know you're not into that, <laughs> or a church who's just looking to move because you've been leasing a space and you've outgrown it, or it's crummy or whatever it is, go to noahaventvenue.com slash church. So Noah, as in Noah and the Ark, noahaventvenue.com slash church. Check it out. They have, I think they're in somewhere between 20 and 30 major cities around the United States. So um, if you're in any major metro area, there's a good chance you uh, you are included in their locales. Dude, has there ever been a famous Noah since, like Noah from the Ark? Like a, like a truly famous Noah? Because that's the example you always give. And, and after you gave it, I was like, man, could he be using any other Noah there? I mean, but, I guess it could but, be like, as in Joakim Noah. But Oh, yeah, Joakim Noah, the wor- so, world's greatest so the, women's basketball player, the, according the to early, Bill Simmons. Yeah, early 2000s yeah. WNBA fans would be uh, real into that. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Is there – the only other – I mean – his dad was a famous tennis player, Yannick Noah. Um, Yannick Noah, yeah, yeah. Any anybody with the first name Noah, though. I mean, Noah Syndergaard pitches for the Mets. They call him okay. Thor because yeah, he has yeah, long yeah. blonde hair. Although I guess he just got that cut, so that's that's in, that's interesting. But yeah. yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of scraping the middle of the barrel here. It's not bottom of the barrel. It's not like no, some not. you know. It's not like Caratop's name was Noah or something. But it's yeah. it, it's pretty mid tier celebrity in the Noah department. Yeah, that's fascinating. So yeah, parents, you know, just take take caution before you name a kid Noah. You know, not a not a ton of amazing track record there. But yeah, it's uh, just like name if you name your kid Josh, as we've discussed before, he'll never be a good quarterback. Yeah, uh, might be a good actor, never be a good quarterback. Exactly, exactly, and he'll always be twelve in my mind. That's right. Um, Piper, do we have a uh, do we have a, a lucrative relationship with a book publisher this week? We do have a lucrative relationship with a book publisher because uh, IVP Books has uh, has come into our corner and they, they are our corner man, so they are they're fully supporting us in this podcast. And the book mm-hmm. that they're highlighting this week is Disruptive Witness. We mentioned them a week or two ago. Uh, that is the book by Alan Noble, um, who we had a lengthy discussion about Alan's. Uh, ethos and appearance as, as yeah a the aesthetic professor. of Alan Noble yeah um, yeah Ronnie had some some sort of subtweety things to say about about his online presence um, dude he did that was fascinating that was that was almost like as hard as I've ever heard Ron like come at somebody you know what I mean you know Ron has uh, some buttons that can be pushed he and, does and apparently Alan Noble has pushed one of those buttons unbeknownst to him. Interesting, uh, because it it's nothing moral. It's nothing like egregious. No, it's just yeah. it's just a habit of yeah. Alan's, and particularly in how he is presenting this new book. Because I think it's his first major book or his first trade book publication. So he's okay. He's a scholar. He's written a ton of articles. He's well published. But in terms of yeah. like trade books, I don't think he's done one before. So he's very excited about it. And sure. And his presentation of that has pushed a button for one Ronald J. Martin. Um, so I say that to let listeners know that there's nothing like behind the scenes dark here. This is just, no. this is just cranky Ron. I, honestly, I bet it wouldn't have bothered Ron if he was in like Jupiter, Florida or something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If he was in Jupiter, if he was on a retreat. 
You'd have just been like, ah, Alan's, like, that's a, that's Alan's a got a book, book coming out. Yeah, yeah I like Alan. Yeah. He's you know he's got a, he's got a, a well trimmed beard and it's a good book. Yeah, yeah. So the Dude, book, but the fact that he was in Ashland, yeah, you know, just, that just that that darkens everything. It for sours Ron. him on other people's. Just kind of well, it just sours him. It's just yeah, you know, exactly. sour Ron in Ashland, which is a bummer because mm-hmm. that's where he lives. We got to get our boy out of Dodge Pipe. Yeah, soon. no kidding. He needs to sabbatical in Ashland and live on the road. Exactly. Exactly. We'll work on that. So uh, tell us about Alan's book. So Alan's book is called Disruptive Witness. And it is it's it's a book that looks at sort of how our modern age has distracted Christians from who we are supposed to be, what we're supposed to be. So everything from sort of introspective spiritual life to public witness. And he particularly looks at how our addiction to technology that's my word not his he just sure. he talks about use of technology has has sort of deflected us from any it, it's deflected us from fruitfulness more or less right. because it's right. constant distraction so it pulls us away from relationships it pulls us away from spiritual reflection from repentance from the kinds of human relationships that that can bridge barriers and gaps between people um so he's He's a scholarly level thinker, but the book the book is not an academic book. He brings it, mm-hmm. you know, any Christian who's, you know, who's willing to engage a little bit of brain power will do do just fine with it. I read it and I and had a chance to endorse it and I I thought it was a really helpful book. Um fair warning, it is mm-hmm. convicting. So, mm-hmm. if you're not into conviction and you just want to pat on your back, this is probably not the book for you. But it does challenge – it challenges sort of the passive habits we have of perpetual interaction on social media. Not an issue for you, Ted. Yeah, um, yeah the The way that we interact with news, the way that we interact with other people as sort of like they are, they are digital beings, not human beings. Um, Dude, actually, none of those things are an issue for me. So I think I'm in the clear on this one. I may read this one for a pat on the back. I was going to say know? you, 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 you're the you're the one out of four people in the United States. It's like you and three Amish people who can read this for just oh, a fantastic. pat on the back. The rest of us need to read it as a corrective. <laughs> so really helpful book. It's called Disruptive Witness by Alan Noble. It's available now. Um, the cover is sort of uh, psychedelic. Uh, it's okay. like Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat sort of thing, but with an with a medieval image of Jesus. So I'm looking at it. It's actually seizure inducing. So if if you have epilepsy <laughs> or any of those issues, you're going to want to yeah. probably like if get you, the Kindle version. If you scroll past it too fast, it actually swirls and causes yeah headaches and, right. and nausea. So. If you play it backwards, it actually has satanic uh, references in it. So just don't do that. You'll be fine. Yeah, it, it almost looks like it's supposed to be a holo, what is this, hologram where yeah, you know you turn yeah. it one way and it's one picture. You turn it another way. It's another picture like the old school baseball cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, but those I, were sweet, dude. Yeah, Those are so sweet. I, so this is this is like you got like the stationary picture of Jesus, but if you turn it, it's like Jesus on the cross. You turn it back, it's Jesus staring, Jesus on the cross. So I don't know if that was the intent, but that's the uh, that's the effect. Also, like those baseball cards, if you remove this cover from the book and put it between the spokes of your bike, it sounds like a motorcycle. So <laughs> just a little added benefit do from, uh, from have, IVP. For- do bikes still have spokes? I feel like all the wheels are the big, like, plastic. Dude, they are. They're the big, like, plastic mag wheels now, man. It's not fun. Yeah. Uh, you I'm, remember the spoke thing, though, the motorcycle oh, yeah. thing with the baseball card. Yeah. Yeah, I would always do it with, like, Chicago White Sox cards because I hated them. Except for Frank right. Thomas. He was the exception. 
Exactly. Ah, oh, Big Frank, man. What a what a great player. Yeah, a great a of, old baseball name. A lot of Ozzy Gian ended up in my bike spokes. <laughs> I think a lot of Ozzy Gian ended up in a lot of people's bike spokes. But uh, Piper, this is not Happy Rant Sports. This is the Barnabas Piper episode of the Happy Rant podcast. And uh, I'm excited to talk about some of these things. And um, since you mentioned Alan's excitement over his book, um, that, that kind of fits into the wheelhouse of, of the sorts of things I want to talk about with you this morning. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I see these kids, man, these kids like Alan, and, and they're super pumped about their book, and they're tweeting about it you know, 55 times a day. And um, I don't think that bothers me like it bothers Ron. I, 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 to me, Pipe... So I'm not jealous of this kid having a – by the way, how old is Alan Noble? I say kid. He's, he's probably like our age. Yeah, he's uh, about our age. It's hard to tell because he's balding and has facial hair. And those are the two biggest like white dude tricks to change yes. your age. So Absolutely. I, I'm 35 and I look like I'm 22 because I can't yeah. – I have a full head of hair and I can't grow facial hair. <laughs> so my guess is he's about 35. Dude, also, he's an academic, and academics get all kind of wan and pasty because they never go outside, and, and they just lead very, like, monastic kind of bookish lives. And, and, you know, with academics, you can't really tell how old they are. But anyway, this, this kid's super stoked about his book, man, and I'm, I'm not jealous at all. I don't get jealous about people releasing books anymore. Um, if I'm tempted to get jealous about anything, it's how excited he is about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like – it's it's clear that like he believes in it and not only does he believe probably in the content of the book but he i i can tell he's still like dreaming big dreams about books and and publishing and my question to you barnabas piper is when was the last time you felt that way and what did you feel that way about um that's a good question yeah thanks man I don't have the personality to to be as impassioned about things like that. Um, yeah. It or I, you know, so I look at it this way. So let's keep using Alan as an example, as long as he came up. So IVP, yeah. you're welcome. Your sponsorship has now become a topic of it's the, a whole uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, this basically. is the IVP episode. Um, he during the writing process, for example, he would put up like screenshots of his of some of his work or his word count. He was using an app that would track his progress. You know, he'd set daily goals or weekly goals or whatever. Yeah. And and I was intrigued by that because that has never been my mo. No. Like nobody looks at the work until I'm done. Yep. Um, Same. No, nobody like word counts don't matter to me. Uh, they matter to me only in as much as a publisher has them in a contract. And so sure. I guess I should ballpark it. Um, and then once the work is available, I, I, I put it out there. And my MO, especially now, is kind of like I did the work and and I'm tired of – I'm kind of tired of the work. You know, So talking yeah. oh, about yeah. it, all those things. Now, that's gotten more and more the case. You know, So I've done three books. And so the third one, I was pretty burned out. The first one, I was much more intrigued and interested in promoting to some degree. But what I look at and I go, okay, so one of those is like an, an author like Alan is doing that so that people are engaged and encouraging him and invested in the process throughout. Yeah. I, on the other hand, do the exact opposite thing. And maybe that's a self-protective measure where it's yes. like, yeah. what if I put all of this out there and nobody cares? Exactly. Yeah, no, I know it, man. And Or what if I put like a 
a screenshot of a page out there and somebody takes umbrage with it or whatever, yeah, then I got to like, deal with that. There's a typo you know? in line six. <laughs> Dude, which <laughs> is know, the kind of thing people say on the yeah. internet. Like, hey, I hope you got a good copy editor because you misspelled, you know, Rudy Giuliani. And it's like Judas Priest. You know, this is I, a a screenshot of a draft. Yeah, it's it's you know? it's... It's it's a working document in the most literal sense. Um, exactly. So I I think for me there is a there it's it's a twofold thing. One is more positive. One is more negative. On the negative side, it is a, it's a sort of an insecure self protective thing. Yeah. If I'm not excited about it, or I'm not sort of hanging on people's response to something, then it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they don't respond. Which yeah. yeah. In our level of publishing, or at least my level of publishing, a lack of response is pretty normal. Yeah, you know, there's for sure. a, a small number of invested people, and the vast majority of the world is like, I have no idea this thing exists. Yeah, um, and but the and then the positive side though is I I I don't like self promotion. I yeah. don't. Yeah. I don't want to be a self aggrandizement type of person. And now now we're going to remove Alan from the conversation because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying that's what he did. Um, right. I, I so dude, I but publishers do eat up what he's doing. Yeah, like what what he's he's laying the groundwork for a second book deal, even if this one doesn't do great. Like even if he only sells four thousand copies of this, the publishers will be like, man, but look how he engages with his, you know, his audience and like so he's he's doing some good things there, things that like you and I probably aren't right. willing to and, do. And the threshold for first book is very different than the threshold for other books because yeah. normally the idea is to is to increase your your sales, your presence over time. So if you have if you create any sort of ripples with the first book, you know, yeah. you get any sort of reviews from the right publications or engagements with the right podcasts or whatever, like you've got a foot in the door and you will get a second book. Yeah. What I discovered is that that works well for two books. With the third book, only one thing matters. Sales numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, They're like, we're tired of your... We don't care how charming you are when you come to visit the publisher. We don't care how like cool to work with you are. Um, yeah, show the, me the money on the, the track on the record is book. the track record at some point. Yeah. So yeah. so I have, I have a book proposal in the works right now, which has been... So a version of it has been shopped around to some publishers and a couple of them have asked... They're interested and they've asked for more. They're like, and we, need, we need an actual writing sample, not just you know a, a proposal. And I was like, yeah. I have three writing samples. They're each 40,000 words and published. Um, yeah, exactly. But anyway, I'll do the work for them. But... But this proposal is being considered largely on the success of my first three books or lack thereof, sure. not sure. on the potential and intrigue of me as a rising author. Yeah, that's right, man. Yeah, the, the conversation really changes after you've put several books out there and, and people kind of know what they're getting with you. And uh, so I, I've been a bad radio host. I should have uh, I should have further set this up. This is the Barnabas Piper episode of the Happy Rant podcast. Piper is uh, an accomplished author in his own right, uh, author of The Curious Christian, author of uh, The Pastor's Kid, great books. And uh, Piper, what can you tell us about this new book proposal? Um, what is it? Was it about? How is it similar to and, and different than your previous books? And um, yeah, just tell us about it. Um, so the, the book is working title is expecting happiness. Um, okay. so n- not to be confused with like what to expect when you're expecting. That's not the book I'm writing. <laughs> what um, to expect when you're expecting happiness. That's right. That would be a good title. But it's, I mean, as the title would suggest, it's a book about expectations and happiness and how we 
have a tendency to miss like to misplace or misemphasize both things. Um, so it's it, since it's in the proposal stage, it's hard to say exactly what it is. My intention with it though is to sort of take a take like an Ecclesiastes kind of tone on American and Christian pursuit of happiness. So Ecclesiastes being the, you know, I had everything in the world. I was the wisest person in the world. I had every woman in the world and all the riches. Um, I had complete peace and all of it was vanity. Mm -hmm. But then also kind of this level-headed, but there is good in doing your work and being grateful and those kinds of things. Uh, so it's that's the that's sort of the premise of it, and the idea behind it is just I I just see people manically pursuing happiness mm. and never finding it because yeah. I think I think they're I think they're constantly disappointed in the happiness they get. Dude, um, why is that? Why are they disappointed? Because they're expecting the wrong things. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's sort of the I mean, at least that's that's the conclusion I've come to. It's yeah. when when so when you go to a phenomenal restaurant. Uh huh. If you expect it to be a phenomenal restaurant, you are almost inevitably going to walk out of that experience wishing for something more than what you had. Okay. Now, it might have been near perfection, and you might go, that was spectacular. I only wish. You know, there'd be like a nagging sense of, is there something more? Yeah. Whereas if, you're, if somebody calls you up and they're like, hey, let's go out to dinner, and they're just like, I heard this place is good, and you go in and it's a total surprise – you're blown away by how good the food is. Same restaurant. It's yeah. because you expected dinner with a friend and instead you got a transcendent dining experience. Right, um, right. And I think I think that's the way we treat almost everything in life. And so, you know, mm. we've made jokes on the podcast before about how people are trying to turn everything into an adventure. Yeah, well, yeah. They're expecting something out of a new job or a new car or you know, a new house, like we're starting on this grand adventure called home ownership. I'm like, that's actually a grand expense. Yeah. You know? It's a grand expense. <laughs> and it's something everyone does at, at some point. Yeah. You it's, know? Unless you live in like New York city or Los Angeles where you just rent forever because homes cost a billion dollars or don't exist. Yeah, exactly. I just, so those are, it's, it's just sort of looking at, at that manic drive mm-hmm. towards, uh, fulfillment, happiness, whatever it is. But then on the counter, the counterpart is it's a response to the the sort of psycho Christian hedonists as well. Yeah, the yeah. ones who are like they because I, I think people who who pursue Christian hedonism in the wrong way end up being both unhappy in this life and in some ways disappointed in God mm. because they expect the wrong things from God too. You know the idea dude, that dude, help me out. Like unpack Christian hedonism for a minute. Like what is that? Okay, so yeah, sorry, I throw that phrase out there as if it's just a known thing. Uh, no, because, no worries, man, no worries. I, I grew up in those waters. Um, I've definitely heard it, but I'm not sure I could articulate it. I don't think I know what it means. So the the phrase that it, that it turns on is God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Essentially mm-hmm. meaning God is the sole, the primary and sole source of joy. Um, yep. And which I think theologically... Um, we would probably agree with. Sure. Like, yes, that is the source of all significant, lasting joy. Mm-hmm. The problem is that it gets turned into a sort of psychosis, and and people are like, that is the only source of happiness and joy, which mm-hmm. means that there's there's not a, a happiness and just sort of like the jokes that can be told and the burgers that can be eaten and 
right. you know, the football that can be watched and the music that can be listened to without, yeah. without sort of a like, isn't it amazing that God made this thing? And you're like, you know, <laughs> you know what? You just lowered my enjoyment by about 18% by saying that. So <laughs> it's, so, so the idea behind the book is to sort of find the middle ground between the, the hedonists and the Christian hedonists, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to kind of find that level ground and also just help people realize that like the Bible tells us in this life, you're going to have trouble and that's a promise. So just deal, learn how to deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that's a great message, man. And, and I do, I think social media has maybe ratcheted up our, like our, our almost nonstop hunger for like an epic experience, you know, uh, every meal, every trip, every, you know, date, every whatever has to be epic and transcendent. Um, and I don't think people like felt that way before. Uh, I just think you kind of lived your life and you were thankful and, and happy in the moments that you were happy in. So not to get like total deep dive existential here, but, um, but like what kinds of things make you happy? Like at, at what points in life do you experience real happiness of the sort that you're going to be kind of like scoping out in the book? Um, I, the, the times that I, that I think I'm at my happiest are when I have, I've set the bar in the right place for an experience. So okay. if a friend, so friends from church getting together and we're all just going to hang out some Friday evening and somebody's going to throw some meat on the grill and there's going to, you know, hang out food, drinks, company. And my expectation is I like these people. I'll go have a good time. Yeah. Then you know what happens? I have a good time and, and yeah, I'm able to come yeah. away and I'm genuinely thankful for friends and for good company and, a, you know, the laughs and the conversations. If I go in thinking that it's going to be, you know, the greatest Friday night of this month or of this year, yeah. it's going to feel flat. Right. You know, right. And, and this, I think work is probably even, um, even a better example because it's inevitable. Like every, you know, we have to work. And so right, right. if I'm expecting, that my next promotion is going to be an arrival point. Well, yeah. I'm going to be massively disappointed in whatever that job is because, yeah, for sure. because it comes with busy work and it comes with drudgery and it comes with Mondays. And so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if I, if, but if I look at it and I go, there's, there's provision, there's people I like to work with the cause and the purpose of the work is meaningful. And yeah. so, and then yes, there's all of that other frustrating stuff too. Collectively, I can go, I am happy in my work. It's sure, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, this, and this actually plays into kind of the idea of the book. And he was, he was like, do you love your job? And I was like, no, he's like, why yeah. are you doing it then? I'm like, cause I, cause I'm thankful I for my job. Something. Yeah, <laughs> cause yeah. I, cause I appreciate my job. Cause I, cause I like a lot of things about it and it, and it's a good thing right now. Like this is the thing that God gave me and I'd be yeah. stupid to, to turn it down because I wasn't like doing backflips every Monday morning. Um, exactly. So I think those are those are contexts where I find just genuine happiness is did I set the bar right for this this thing that is a really good thing but not an like a a life altering thing. Yeah, no, that makes total sense, man, for sure. And I think like I'll I'll be interested to read this book because one of the one of the stumbling blocks for the cynic, which uh which I am and and I definitely put myself in that category. You, you tend to think that you can you can kind of game this whole thing by saying, I'm just going to set the bar so low, I'm always pleasantly surprised. 
And, you know, I'm sure that's not what you're arguing for in the book. So I will I will look forward to, to reading that, man. I hope I hope it gets picked up and I hope you get a deal for it. Well, and um, I think I think the, the other failure of maybe it's just modern thinkers, Western mm-hmm. thinkers, is that we almost always tend to go either or. So if something yeah. is not an elite experience, then it was a waste of an experience. Then it sucked. Yeah. And, and there's yeah. a little bit of that in the set the bar so low that you can't be disappointed because you. Like when you set the bar low, you also kind of inevitably set the ceiling low. Yep. Like you That's just right. you sort of lower the whole range of enjoyment way down. And so yeah, you're not disappointed, but you're also kind of like, "Eh, it was fine." And that's yeah. sort of your 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 engagement with life. And so it's it's finding that the tensions that we don't like to live in where you can appropriately set the floor of expectation. Like, yeah, this probably isn't going to change my life and it might even be mediocre. Right. But set the ceiling such that when something is exceptional or enjoyable or whatever, you can say, I really enjoyed that and yeah. and have the range, you know, rather than just sort of minimizing your own ability to enjoy things. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense, man. Totally, totally makes sense. So, Pipe, in light of this new book proposal, which uh, after we get off the air, you're going to be uh, you're going to be heading out. Um, into the 94 degree crisp autumn weather here in, uh, right. in Tennessee. Me, me you know, and right. all like the drooping pumpkins. Yeah, grab a shawl, man. Don't don't catch a draft in that in that brisk autumn weather. But uh, you're going to be going to write this book proposal. So my question to you is: in to to be fair, there's a lot of like kind of personal personal issues couched in this for me. Like, do you have ambition anymore? Do you, would you call yourself ambitious? Um, because I don't think I do. And I don't mean that in a like, oh, no, I'm glum and depressed sort of way, because I'm definitely not. I just I don't get excited about these projects anymore like I used to. And uh, I I wonder where you're at on that. I I think that fits with the the, kind of the expectation range thing we were just talking about, because a, Mm -hmm. a, a super ambitious person is they've set the ceiling so high. I'm going to yeah. change the world. I'm going to write a New York Times bestseller. I'm going. This to book whatever. is going to change my life. It's going to change readers' lives. It's right. going to launch my career in this incredible way. Yeah, and yeah, all and that. so for me, like I, I've never been an incredibly ambitious person in that way. But over time, I think I've just, I think I've become a more accurately ambitious person. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I found out that this book had had no impact on anybody, yeah, I would be bitterly disappointed. Sure. Like what a waste of my time and energy and and I <laughs> yeah, and I completely yeah. I just I completely misfired. Yeah. But if but if I hear from readers, you know, two three times a month for a few years and they say, "Hey, read your book, it really helped me think about this differently." Or I had a conversation with a friend based off of it or we went through it in a group. That's that feels like a success to me because yeah. I'm writing for people to be helped in some way shape or form. Um, you know, if I was writing a, a a story, I would want them to be entertained. I would want them sure. to say, "I loved it. I loved the character. I loved the plot. Whatever it was." Yeah. So yeah. it's so ambition has changed shape for me, where I've I have lowered the floor to you know I I don't expect massive sales. I'm not going to yeah. be on the front table at some Barnes and you know Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah. I'm not going to be interviewed on massive media channels. It's just not going to happen for me. And, yeah, you know, barring yeah. something insane. And that's sure. okay. I'm not disappointed by it not happening. But I do expect that my work will impact readers and in a, in a way that, 
that changes how they think, how they see things, gives them a fresh perspective. Because that's that's the kind of writer I want to be is somebody who helps people go, huh, I never saw it that way before. Yeah. And or I never saw God that way before the world, whatever it is. And I do expect that to happen. So I guess I'm ambitious towards that. But it's just that, you know, I, I kind of know my lane and I'm not yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not ambitious for for commercial success. No, absolutely. I, I totally get it. So one of the things that I think I miss the most about about being young um, is getting excited all the time. And I, <laughs> I used to get excited about all kinds of things, like an article getting published or getting a book deal or even like submitting a book proposal or, you know, going to a ball game or whatever. And to be clear, like those are still things that I enjoy. Um, I would say I enjoy all those things at some level, but I no longer really get excited. Um, my question to you is, do you get excited anymore? And what do you get excited about? Um, yeah, my, my threshold for excitement has diminished greatly. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think much more in terms of enjoyment than excitement now. Um, because it, Maybe that's a personality thing. Maybe it's just an energy thing. You know, life is tiring. I have two kids, full time yeah. job. Like, there's just yeah. there's just a certain amount of energy I don't have. Um, yeah. But but the other thing is, it, it also fits with that excitement has has generally led me to disappointment in life. Mm. You know, you get excited, which means you set the bar too high. Yeah. And then yeah. you get there, and you're like, that concert was fun, but like our seats weren't that great or the sound system was subpar. The guy doing the mixing was a little off or, you know, we couldn't yeah. get close enough to the front or whatever. Instead of just going, I think I'm really going to enjoy hearing whatever band play. And so, and so yeah. there's, I don't get excited anymore yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, I, I get excited when I'm surprised, you sure. know? So that's part of the reason I love sports. Yeah. Support yeah. sports is one of the few things that's unscripted, and can surprise you every single time. So the guy breaks out of the pack and runs for a touchdown. Like that's, you did not see that coming. That was yeah. a surprise. And so we jump out of our chair and cheer, you know, um, case, Keenum yeah, you hits, can- case Keenum hits Stefan Diggs down the sideline of the playoff game with no time left on the clock. I was excited. I mean, it was just because yeah, yeah, it was an, sure. an utter shock to me. Right. Yeah. You could see a transcendent performance every time you watch a sporting event. And so there's the potential for that. And, uh, and, and you do, you get excited about it for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting, man. I think, um, yeah, things in life that can deliver that are fewer and further between. Well, I I think, I think that's inevitable when, as you get older, because when you're younger, there are more things that are surprises because you've experienced less, like you just have less of a track record of, Oh, this is how life works. And so it, you know, I don't get excited about, is the publisher going to get back to me about my book proposal today? Because, because you know they're not today yeah, or in the next three months. Yeah, because I'm know? and I'm in the biz. Yeah. Like I I know yeah. I know how publishing works. I know that there's a high likelihood the first several are gonna say, you know, good enough, but we're gonna pass on it. And yeah. and like yeah. that's not crushing to me. It's just sort of like, right. okay, well, it, it'll land somewhere eventually. Sure. Um and and so yeah, like the excitement excitement is about the unknown. Yeah. The more you yeah. know the less excitable you are. Absolutely. Dude, so what do you do with, and I feel like I see this a lot. I feel like I see people our age and older, like kind of generating artificial excitement. 
or maybe the excitement is real for them. And, and if so, I'm intrigued by that. But I, I don't know. There's almost like a tinge to me of, of sadness to it, you know, to see a like middle-aged and older guy getting super pumped about his book proposal that he's putting together. It's like, dude, let me, let, let me just tell you what this is not going to do for you. But I don't want to do that because I don't want to be a, like a wet blanket. I don't want that to be my role in life in, yeah. in perpetuity, you know. But like, what do you do with these guys? And, and dude, a lot of it speaks to what we talked about on the episode that we're pushing back a few weeks. Um, you know, the, these kind of leadership guys that get all, all, all jacked out of their mind about, about this thing or that thing. And it's like, what do, you do, what do you do with that? What would you tell that person? It's hard to know how to interpret some of that excitement because we, we, live, in a, we live in a time where if you're not using superlatives, you're not saying anything meaningful. So right. for me to say, I expect it to be a pretty good time, sounds like I'm mm-hmm. saying it's going to suck. When in reality, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, that, that has like glum connotations. Right. Even though, even though what I said was the opposite of it's going to suck. Yeah. Um, so the only way for me to say something that registers is to be like, it's going to be epic. It's going to be life changing, yeah. which is why yeah. leadership gurus sound insane because they're like, yeah. this will change your organization. I'm like, you know what else changes your organization? Like the calendar. Just give it a day. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's so true. It, 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 uh, I think that's part of the challenge is interpreting people's excitement. Like what, what's the conversion rate of your language to reality? I, that's fascinating. Yeah. Because I, yeah. you know, I, I know people who are like, every, you know, they're sort of the everything is awesome type. And I'm like, but they don't, they're not insane. And yeah. so, so there has to just be a conversion rate between their level of like peppiness and, yeah. and reality. And so they're seeing things similarly to me. They're just expressing them differently. And I'm a, yeah. I'm a little bit more of an even keel flatliner when it comes to excitement. Um, but then I, you know, but like the, the middle-aged guy with the book proposal, um, if it's a first time writer, I thoroughly expect them to be just jazzed out of their mind because that feels like a massive accomplishment. And in one sense, it really is getting published is a big deal. Um, I also expect them to have a, you know, realization moment somewhere within six months of publication that they go, Oh, (laughs) this didn't really change my life. Yeah. It, it, uh, it was a cool, it was a cool accomplishment. But, Dude, but and that's, this is the, the the reality is not that I'm a different person now. It's just that I, I did a thing. That's something that nobody prepares you for. You know what I mean? And maybe they shouldn't. I mean, maybe there shouldn't be a guy to say, hey, look, this probably isn't going to like change your life in any considerable way. But enjoy it. You know, um, definitely enjoy it. Definitely like do whatever level of promotion and public excitement you can muster. But don't expect it to like really change your life or change your career or whatever. I mean, I think that message delivered in the right way could be really empowering. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's probably what you're shooting for in your book, man, which is again, why, uh, why some publishers should pick it up. So, uh, Christian publishing industry, if you're listening and I know you are, uh, pick up Barnabas Piper's book, uh, so that I can read it and be less glum, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> or at least be Piper, like re- realistic about you. be glum about the right things. Be glum about like, the right like things. The Absolutely. Dude, right. I can be glum about the Titans and their uniform and their marketing, although they're actually playing well, which is which is kind of a fascinating thing. That is. But again, um, this isn't the sports podcast, so we'll leave dumb dude, things right. dumb things the Titans have done for a segment on another show. Absolutely. We can do uh, we can do entire episodes about that. So, Pipe, my question to you, and, and maybe this is hard to separate from like 
the way you grew up. So I'll, I'll let you answer it in whatever way you want to. But if you hadn't chosen this path, like, you know, being a writer, um, working at Lifeway, doing what you do, like what, what, what else would you have done? Like what else could you have seen yourself doing? And it's funny because, um, a lot of my friends are pastors and, and we talked about this on the other show that we'll drop in a little while, but, um, you know, a lot of these guys, like they truly think, you know, if I hadn't become a pastor, I would, I would probably be the president, you know, or I would probably be like, <laughs> yes. I would be Winston <laughs> Churchill, you know, I would be leading men into battle and they sit in their little, you know, their, their little, uh, reading nooks at night, reading Winston Churchill biographies thinking, you know what, I doggone it. I'm a leader of men. And, uh, I just happen to be leading a church, but if not, I'd probably be like a, a five-star general. But, uh, that being said, Pipe, like, how do you see yourself, and what would you be doing if it wasn't this? Yeah, I, the irony of that description you just gave is so deep, because it's like, with the Holy Spirit, I lead a church of 500. Without the Holy Spirit, I lead the free world. And by 500, like, I mean 75. That's, well, yeah. 500 members. It's an SBC church. So. Exactly. 500 <laughs> so, members, 75 who show up. That's right. Yeah. And, but, and we count our baptisms on a pegboard. Um, exactly. But uh, what would I be doing? I... I, communication, writing, speaking, those kinds of things are a thing. I would have, probably would have gravitated towards something that enabled me to do this. Um, yeah. So I could – like sports broadcasting would have been something. It's something I was always intrigued by. I loved sports talk radio at like nine years old. Oh, back, yeah. Man. Back when radio was a thing um, yeah. and podcasts weren't. Now, yeah. I, now I love sports podcasts. Um, yep. And so yep. I think I would have worked hard to get into that. I think there I've I've a side of me was always intrigued by the law so getting into mm-hmm. being a lawyer but more courtroom lawyer than like I'm not a I'm not a read and write lengthy briefs guy and I think that's what sure. would have stopped me there is uh well law school probably would have stopped me cuz I don't like school very much um yeah. and you know I possibly publishing in a different capacity so magazine or newspaper journalism intrigued me um yep. Although the grind of being a really good journalist in terms of like the chasing down of the stories and the fact checking, which mm. contrary to what uh, our government will tell you, journalists actually do and they do very well. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that I would have been cut out for that. I'm not a grinder. Uh, yeah. My guess yeah. is I would have ended up in some either sports in the sports realm or in um, something sort of entrepreneurial. Um, not at like, I'm not a starter, but I really like coming alongside people who are starting things and being a a solutions guy, a problem solver, you know, helping them develop strategy and how are we going to communicate about this and what's our core message and those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay. I can totally see you doing that, but I, I I would not, I would not have been the president. However, I don't, I don't think I have that in me. Dude, how humble of you. I'm like, you (laughs) know, almost every other pastor, how humble of you. Um, so pipe, do you, do you happen to hear like the cat crying in the background? Very, in, very in faintly. I, I, it, it's faint enough that it sounds like a siren, like four blocks over. Yeah, no, it's actually a cat in my office. And, uh, I don't know if we've addressed this on the podcast, but I actually got a new cat. So, well, I know um, you had one, was it, it was a few months ago. You had one that went missing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that cat is no longer with us, but, um, I, I actually about a month ago got a new cat. Um, she's incredible. Her name's Jane and she's currently trapped in my office. So she's crying. 
Um, so but, I'm gonna I'm gonna empower but if you, myself. But if you let her out, she will then cry outside the door because that's what cats do. Exactly, man. Hang on one second. Yep. Hey, Maxim, can you let Jane out? Excellent. Thanks, buddy. Dude, sorry about that. No, no worries. Um, yeah, yeah, but I, I want to give my my podcasting audience a chance to you know to celebrate my my new pet acquisition. Jane is in um, like Jane Austen. Yeah, Jane is in. Uh, oh man, so this is embarrassing. Um, KK and I like the book in the the movie Jane Eyre, um, and so this this is a long haired cat uh, who's a girl. So KK named her Jane Jane Hare. Um, <laughs> and so say, I, I didn't I didn't know she was a dad joker. That's amazing. Yeah, so say, saying that out loud while still being like, you know, a, a straight man who coaches football, um, you know, do, doing all those things together. You know, it's, it's quite a lot for me to pull off. Well, but, if it uh, makes you feel any better, the cat doesn't know its name and never will and won't come when you call it by name. So the name is just for your amusement. Dude, that's absolutely true. And, uh, and we love the cat. We're super, uh, super thankful for her. We're excited that she's in our family. But um, back, back to the vocation thing, Pipe, and I, we're going on an hour here, so I'll let you go soon. Um, what's your dream sports job? So as you look at the sports landscape, we talk about sports a lot in our other program. Um, I know for myself, I've, I've dreamed at various times of you know, being a player, a coach, or a GM in a certain context. Like, what's, your, what's your dream sports job? I would like to be like the Zach Lowe of the NFL. Oh, interesting. So, so still sports media. I think so. I mm-hmm. that said, I would also love to be a high school football coach. Dude, really? Talk about that. I well, for a couple reasons. One, I I peaked, like I capped out at high school football. I I probably sure. could have joined the team at Wheaton and been the kind of guy who if I worked really hard, maybe made the field like my senior year. But Wheaton is sure, a really sure. good football team. I played for a really bad high school team and I just yeah. I didn't have it in me to put in 40 hours a week to be a college football player. So I stopped. Yep. And I yep. had terrible coaches in high school. Like they were, okay. they were terrible people who were terrible <laughs> at football. So it was, like, if they were one or the other, it would have been a much more enjoyable experience. So I look at it and I go, man, a decent coach would have made such a difference to me in terms yeah, of my love so of true. the game, my development as a player, the success of our team. Um, yep. And and I've I've worked with high schoolers enough over the years to know that there's they're frustrating as all get out, but. Yeah the the capacity that 14 to 18 year olds have to learn to get better and the enjoyment that i get in watching something click for them like when they get it and then so whether that's you know whether that's a pass rushing technique or you know a theological concept either one is cool Mm -hmm. um so high school coach would be would be intriguing if if i could make a living being like a defensive coordinator for a high school team i'd be happy i think i would really enjoy that um, well, yeah. Piper, let me uh, let me put a job offer in front of you. OK. All right. So this is this is sports history being made right here. Um, I know I've mentioned on the podcast before that my kids go to a classical school and being that it's a classical school, it exists to teach them Latin and crush all of our athletic dreams. And uh, they have delivered on that. They've delivered on that promise in droves in that uh, the sports experience has been uh, woeful and the academic experience has been good, but all of that to say, Piper, they haven't had a football program. Um, but I am starting an eight man full contact tackle football program here in the area. 
uh, for kids who go to the Augustine School, also for the, the kids in the homeschool community here. So uh, if you want to make the commute from Nashville and be, be a part of our coaching staff, uh, there's the official offer. So we can, we can hammer out the particulars. There will be no money uh, whatsoever, but, um, but I'll give you a, a whistle and a headset and a windbreaker and some very short polyester shorts. If you, and, pay, uh, if you pay me in baked goods and give me a visor, I'm in. Dude, absolutely. I'm going to pay you in baked goods and visors. It'll be, uh, it'll be amazing. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to be a visor program. Absolutely. That, that's my first purchase with, uh, with the, the copious budget that I'm about to get. So, um, <laughs> yeah, budget. That's a, that's a fun word. I wonder, quote unquote is, budget. Do you call yeah. it a budget if there's no money allocated for anything? Dude, exactly. Yeah. I just, I just air quote it, you know, I air quote it and then it's a, it's a budget, but it's a budget that I can joke around about. But, uh, but no, man, I've coached high school football before and it is everything that you described. It's so much fun. Um, the kids aren't, they aren't yet cynical and jaded and you know, they, they still dream big dreams. I mean, it's back to the excitement thing that we talked about. Right. I mean, I think there's, there's no better moment than being a high school football player and playing on Friday night. And then Saturday morning you wake up late and you're all sore and, and, you know, a little bit beat up, but then you can flip on college football and just dream about it, you know, or you can watch the NFL on Sunday and go, maybe I'll get there someday. And, uh, man, that's intoxicating. That's such a good feeling. And, and I, you know, I, I miss the Friday night lights. I live right by a local high school so you can see Mm -hmm. the lights. I mean, when, when I open my, once it drops below 811 degrees outside and I can open my deck door in the evening, for the pleasant yeah. breezes, I can hear the marching band. I can hear the crowd. Oh, it's dude, awesome. That's magic. And uh, yeah. and I miss it. And and then the other thing is, I I gravitate towards the kind of the hard to reach kids. Yeah. Um, like the star quarterback doesn't interest me. Somebody else can coach sure. the star quarterback. Sure. I like the troubled kid, the single parent, you know, single mm-hmm. parent home kid, the the kid who is who's got potential but doesn't know how to reach it without help. And so yeah. I mean that that's an aspect of coaching. I've done a little bit of coaching in the past and those are the aspects of it that I enjoy a lot. Not to mention oh, dude, just absolutely. the watching the light bulb come on for for uh for kids. So Absolutely, man. It would either be that or the Zach Lowe thing is basically he is he's the most engaging basketball podcaster out there right now. He, yeah. he and yeah. he's a he knows basketball inside and out, but he loves basketball inside and out. And that's what makes him so good is he can he can go real nerd deep on the technicalities of the game or strategies, but then he just he just loves watching basketball and being around basketball. And the NBA has a lot of guys like that. The NFL does not. The yeah, NFL has like true. meatheads who hate strategy <laughs> and and you know technicality analytics and or yeah, they yeah, have yeah, like all that stuff. they have like nerd nerds. Yeah, and so there's nobody who's just who really loves the game, who has a sense of humor and who can break down like how Sean McVay sets up matchups that toast the middle linebacker. Like those are, those yeah. are things all of which I look at and go, I, if I got to spend 40 to 60 hours a week doing that, yeah, that sounds fun to me. Absolutely, man. Watching, yeah. Watching game pass, watching the all 22, that would be, that would be a blast. That would be like a dream for sure. But I think back to what you said on coaching, man, it's it's so true, and it's why like these reformed weenies who twice a year write these you know uh, think pieces on the Gospel Coalition about how football's terrible. Like clearly they've never coached, you know, and 
all the relational magic, all the, you know, all the chances for, I mean, ministry is probably a stretch that probably noblizes it too much because it's just something I love doing. But, um, but yeah, the race thing works so well in football, um, just chances to be in community together and learn from each other. And, um, man, all that is magic. And it's what, it's what keeps me coming back year after year as a, as a coach. I don't think, I don't think calling it ministry noblizes it. It might sort of sound a little more pious than you mean, but yeah, I mean, yeah. If you ran into a coach that you had had from, say, the age of nine years old on, you would still mm-hmm. call that person coach. Oh, most definitely. You yeah, would, until I you die. You would remember we'll at least one or, one or two interactions you had with them at a very personal level. Yep. Hopefully positive yep. ones. Um, yep. The, the impacts that coaches have are deep, lasting, and profound. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I had a bunch of awful coaches, but they didn't they didn't negatively shape me because I had lots of good influences in my life too. But I think about, I think about my peers who didn't, you know, they may have quit the sport because they had terrible coaches. They may have, like, it just, you don't know the influence. I I mean, I think, I think ministry is not far off in terms of the, the significance of a coach. I agree, man. And if you're, if you're doing it right, you know, if you're doing it right, it really, it really does look a lot like ministry and it's, it looks a lot like the stuff that, you know, these kind of entrepreneurial pastor types put into their like business plans when they're planning a church or talking about quote unquote leadership or whatever. Um, you know, it's really all the stuff that you get out of coaching and that's what makes it magical. But, uh, Piper, speaking of magical, uh, we have gone almost an hour on this program and, uh, yeah, really appreciate this, man. Appreciate your answers. This has been, uh, the Barnabas Piper episode of the happy rant podcast. So if you're so inclined uh, run, don't walk to Amazon.com, our favorite little try-hard online bookseller. Uh, search for Barnabas Piper. Uh, buy copies of his books, uh, The Curious Christian and The Pastor's Kid, and uh, and we can look forward to this new proposal pipe. And being that it's uh, the publishing industry, if you get a deal for it within the next six months or so, you can expect it on shelves like three to five years from now. So yeah, I mean, if, um, if it hits just shelves, around the corner, if it hits shelves before early 2020, it would be uh, an accelerated schedule. Let's say, absolutely, man, and that's just a that's just a uh, a glimpse of the excitement that that we get to deal with in this fast paced industry of ours. You know, I mean, it just uh, it really flies at you. You know, you blink and it's over. But um, pipe, this has been a blast. Appreciate you, man. Uh, appreciate you doing this episode and until next time Rachel the Held Evans The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings if you go to resonaterecordings.com you can see the full range of services they offer so if you're considering starting a podcast they are the ones we recommend going with Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.